You're listening to Acts of Impact, the show where we interview those who are making a positive difference in the world around us. I'm your host, Nicholas Hill, and today's guest is David Helmers. David is Executive Officer for the Australian Men's Shed Association, a nonprofit organization that supports the men's shed movement across Australia. We'll talk about the challenges men face when it comes to finding social support and camaraderie how these sheds support men's mental and physical well-being, and how David and the Australian Men's Shed Association are helping out. Let's get started. David, welcome to the show. Uh, Hi, Nick. Great to be with you. Oh, it's certainly great to have you. And David, let's just kick it off by letting people know what exactly is a men's shed? What what does that term mean? <laughs> you probably asked the most difficult question you go to ask all day there, Nick. I've been asked that question for 15 years now and actually sum it up in a simple way is not the easiest thing to do. Essentially, men's sheds are a comfortable space for men. Uh, to come and work together on meaningful projects. That's the the standard, you know, one one line response, I suppose. But there are a lot more than that. There, our primary aim is prevention of social isolation. You know, mainly in older men who are no longer in full time employment. And uh, prevention of social isolation. Social isolation is a key contributor to poor health. So what we're doing is replacing that space. That and that social environment that men had in their workplace and, and reducing the risk of social isolation. It's all about health, but we call it health by stealth. Health by stealth. I like that. And what is kind of the history of this? Because something that I, I know that you have been with the Men Shed movement um, since kind of early stages. Can you tell us, like, how did this get started? Did it start with the Australian Men's Shed Association, or or was it something smaller than that? Yeah, it was. And looking back at it, one of the things that I love about the whole Men's Shed movement is that there wasn't one person who started it or created what we know today as the modern Men's Shed. It evolved out of time. It's true grassroots. The, the earliest sheds we can trace back to the mid-80s to late-80s and there was only a few. When I got involved in 2006, there's probably only about 30 men's sheds in existence. And yeah, we there was a few popping up around the place and a few people like myself who were employed to coordinate one men's shed project. And we all started communicating and sharing the information. And that laid the foundations, I suppose, for the Australian Men's Shed Association. It was born on the principle of sharing that information. So, yeah, and it wasn't all about health of it. The first shed I was involved with was primarily focused on youth mentoring. The health side of it came a bit later. And again, it's part of the the magic story of sheds. We didn't, it morphed itself along the way. And I was, you know, look back now and I was very privileged to be a part of that morphing along the way. But we let the sheds take the direction and, yeah, we refined the process. And essentially, I, I say with the association, that period, up until two, 2010, when we were first funded by the government, we McDonaldized it. We franchised it in a way. We made a simple pattern that could be duplicated to save hundreds of thousands of dollars in human resource costs in reinventing the wheel all the time. 
you know, and that's essentially how it started. So you've got these sheds that are a grassroots movement, and you mentioned that really the what a men's shed is is a place where men can be comfortable. And I want to dive into that a little bit. What are some of the challenges that you saw as this movement started to evolve that men were facing? What, what were they uncomfortable with that the shed provided them that they weren't really getting elsewhere? Yeah, and I think and it's where we solved part of the problem was creating that comfortable space. There's a little hypothetical I like to use as an example of what getting men to talk together about, you know, amongst themselves, especially here in Australia, you know, farmers and blokes, big burly guys that have worked in industry all their, all their life, getting to open up and talk about some of their problems was a real challenge. And the way of doing it, um, you know, was, you know, very clinical where you would get a facilitator and half a dozen blokes in the room and, they would all sit around and they say, well, let's all put our heart in our sleeves and tell each other our problems and share it. And that went down like a lead balloon. You know, it didn't work. The little hypothetical I throw out there to explain how the shed works is you take that same group of men, put an old lawnmower on the table instead of a facilitator and a bunch of tools and get them to fix it right, or repair it. And at the end of a few hours they still wouldn't have repaired it. The lawnmower would still be busted, but they would have, they speak to each other. They're in that comfortable place. They're working shoulder to shoulder and they start to talk about their problems. And that's essentially how the men's shed works. Some of my most memorable moments talking to my dad growing up, when I think back, we were building a deck, we were putting up electrical wire, we were helping to fix the car and I, I think about, yeah, we were always working on something. And, and it almost seemed like that faded into the background. And really, it was just just hanging out. That, that's it. That's it. And that's very much a, a male trait in a lot of Western societies. And, yeah, I have it now when my friends come around. It's, you know, I'm talking to you today, Nick, you know, for the, the listeners, from the, for the benefit of them, direct live from my shed. And this is where when friends come around with that, we hang out and talk. Um, we spend more time in the shed than what we ever do in the house. Are there any guidelines? So you mentioned that, you know, at the beginning of this, you set up kind of a simple patent that allows men to, to build these sheds and, and collaborate there. Are there any guidelines as to what people are building or the types of projects that they work on? What would I see if I looked into one of these? As long as it's legal, uh, essentially. We leave that up to the their wants and their needs. Predominantly, men's sheds right around the world are woodwork-based. Men like something like working with timber. Then you have, you know, different metalwork-type applications and things like that. They're your, they're your stock standards. But I've seen literally everything in sheds, you know, um, from building wooden toys to building real-life steam trains and restoring boats and aeroplanes and... Yeah, I remember saying in, um, I was in a conference in Wales many years ago and I, I said that I've seen everything built in the shed and just off the cuff for some reason I said, you know, because of something I was listening to the radio that day, I um, I said, well, the only thing I've never seen a guy in a shed do is put something into space. 
and that got out and a couple of weeks later i got contacted by a bloke in a men's shed in scotland who was actually you know one of the leading amateur rocketeers trying to put something you know the first amateur project into orbit so <laughs> you know it's literally and he was doing a lot of the work in the shed so look i've seen everything was he doing that before you issued that statement or or after yes he was he was I was I, so he reached out and said, "How dare you? I've been working on this yeah, over here." Exactly. Oh, look, I even came in, came across a guy in one shed who was building a miniature submarine that he could go in. Oh wow! Yeah, and got it done. You know, um, got it certified, and yeah. So hey, anything can be done. Yeah. Well, you know, you said something earlier that I wanted to touch on. You said that in 2010 something changed, and you mentioned that that was when there was funding that became available to support these sheds what what happened there what was that was there a bill that was passed there was a, a bit of a build-up to that as i said before a lot of those early sheds we knew something was going on in a social type nature a, a lot of the sheds like the first one i was involved in the windale shed project was in a very disadvantaged area and it was all about youth mentoring but what I started to observe, I remember giving a talk at a, a, a conference for counsellors, of all things. And after my talk, a lady came up to me and she said, oh, you've got one of my clients in the shed and named the gentleman. And I'm like, yeah, I, I know, he's a great guy. And she said, you wouldn't believe the difference the shed made. We had him under high watch. Yeah, we were certain he was going to take his own life. Uh, and after two weeks in the shed, um, a lot of their alarm bells had gone down. All he needed, this guy had been a coal miner. He, all his life, you know, very close-knit environment, working underground in the mines, and a very strong culture. And at the age of 50, he was a forced redundancy with the mine closure, and he really didn't know what to do with himself. Little trigger points like that started to happen. Then in 2008... The Australian government became the second government in the world to create a male health policy. And we were invited to that process. So one of our patrons and good friend of mine now, Professor John MacDonald, came up and saw me in that period and, and convinced me that, well, I didn't need convincing. I suppose he put the words to me that men's sheds are all about men's health. As he said, the social determinants of health. And one of the things is we have this need to belong socially when we're you know, home alone, that's the, that's a, a trigger for substance abuse, depression, and all the re health-related issues that go with that. And there was a lot of men out there like that. So the shed was providing this space for them. And when the 2000, and when that male health policy was released by the government in 2010, it came with funding attached to, for men, for the men's shed movement and grow the Australian Men's Shed Association. For those four years prior, it was, yeah, you know, people like myself, it was voluntarily done a lot of the work. Uh, I was employed as a men's shed coordinator for one project. Yeah, you know, that was you know, a, you know part part of the time, and then we that morphed into creating the Australian Men's Shed Association. So once that funding was allocated, we were literally on our own as an independent, you know, legal entity operating as we do today. So you have these. You have this policy that has created a little bit more structure around 
how we can fund and how we can support this, knowing that it has huge benefits for the men who participate. And when I think about the Australian Men's Shed Association and some of the programs and projects that you have, one that uh, comes to mind is a project on your website called Spanner, uh, Spanner in the Works. Spanner in the Works, yes. Could you tell me a little bit about that? Is that something that came a little later? No, that came with the health funding. One of the deliverables for us was to deliver health programs and male health screenings as such, which there wasn't a great deal of, but to get health information out into the sheds. You know, after all, we were funded by the Department of Health and this was a health policy. One of the things I learned, and I'm not, and I think this was a unique thing that I brought to the table, is that I wasn't from a health background or you know I wasn't from a social welfare background the truth be known Nick I was you know from the majority of my working life prior to that I'd been a baker in a family business for 17 years so I came into the room with fresh eyes I suppose where a lot of the academics especially like John McDonald would say um you know to me they're good points but I can't say that I'm a professor I need to back that up with hard evidence and research you're you're the baker from maitland he would say you can say whatever you want um so i could throw these things there and i said half the problem within the men's health that we identified was the literacy was wrong we're not putting it into male friendly terminology or male appropriate i'll hear back from men in the sheds they they hated going to the doctor because right it was very female orientated the medical system and and is to a degree you, you go to any doctor's surgery and on the coffee tables a you know bunch of women's magazines that are 10 years out of date um it's you know that's even a lot of the literature uh you know promotional material materials you know female based so i said we've got to start looking at doing it in male specific terms and then the basic idea was if we can't get the men to go into the doctor for a checkup, let's try and get the health professional to the men and use the sheds to do that. And that concept kind of grew and we created the Spanner in the Works program. And that's, we're in partnership with an organisation in Australia called Healthy Male. And I, I'll call them our scientific partner. They get, they do all the, you know, gather all the research and the information. We just change the language and the presentation to put it into male friendly terminology and when you look at our logo spanner in the works machine man is the main reference point this is a image that's created of a male body that's all made out of car parts motor vehicle parts and we relate those parts to parts of the human body so that's putting it into something that the average male out there can understand in a way you know we're putting it into into friendly terms so instead of saying, oh, I'm going to go get a physical examination, I might say, I'm going to go get a tune-up or I'm going to go get a performance check. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. And that, and we do, that's the way, we, we, one of our, uh, the slogans we use in it was, when was your last service? You get your ser car serviced once a year, so you should get your body serviced once a year. We run the programs at um, large events where a lot of men gather, like, you know, or your version in, uh, the US would be the the county fairs and state fairs, things like that, where there's a lot of farmers present and, you know, agricultural, you know, type shows and industry type specific events as well. Somewhere where we know the men are. And the, a lot of um, industries here in Australia have taken our program and deliver it to their male workforce, you know, as part of the, 
the, the contribution to their employees through you know, health program. There was a situation in Australia where they would say men don't go to the doctor. Now, statistically, that was not true, right? It was something, it was pretty much 50-50 when you looked at the, the data. The problem was being that men don't go to the doctor for preventative health. Generally, the, the symptoms are chronic by the time, a, you know, the average bloke gets around to go into the, the doctor. And there's lots of reasonings for that um, when you want to really break it down. Um, a lot of time is a problem. Right, for a lot a lot of people, working men. Uh, here in Australia, a lot of Australia is rural and remote areas and it's you know, quite a distance to go to the doctor as well. Um, we have a bit of a lack of general practitioners in those areas as well. And there's the old male attitude of um, women and children first. I'll look after the wife and kids, but you know, when it comes to my own health, yeah, I might not be so proactive about it. And we're notorious globally I think as being a bit of a risk taker you know we expose ourselves to a lot more physical risk yeah you have the the image of the little boy on the monkey bars climbing too high or... <laughs> yeah yeah going down the steepest hill on the street on his push bike and yep things like that well let's talk a little bit about the success that you've seen because you know you mentioned when this started you had a, a handful a couple of dozen of sheds but where are you now because my understanding is that this is uh not even just in australia anymore no yeah we well today in australia you know, last count there's about 1280 men sheds in existence so pretty much every you know town rural town a, re, a regional center in australia has got um, a, a men's shed or two or three in some cases. When you do the breakdown, um, rural and regional Australia is where the where eighty percent of the sheds are. Only about twenty percent in the more urban environments. You know, for numerous reasons, uh, getting hold of land and assets in, you know, in the cities is always a challenge. Sydney, I think, is one of the most expensive cities in the world now. We try and primarily we try and set up a shed in the first instance in a disused government building. Uh, and in country Australia, there's generally plenty of those to choose from. Um, and, you know, they take up ownership and then they expand and, you know, and that's part of the evolution there. So with that number, we've noticed in the last couple of years, it's not growing at the rate it was 10 years ago when we were opening about three or four sheds per week. You know, now it's probably 20, 30 a year. So we're re reaching a saturation point, you know, given the population and size of the country where I don't think we'll grow too much more. But the idea expanded. Um, New Zealand, our cousins just across the ditch, they took it on not long after we did. Um, then 2008, nine, I was contacted by a, a guy, John Avoy, and we're still very, very close friends, John and I, uh, who was working on a men's project in Ireland in County Wexford. And he found on the internet all about the men's shed movement and made contact with us. And he started up the first shed in Ireland, um, 2009. He came over to Australia to one of our conferences and we educated him on the whole concept and where we were up to. And he took that back to Ireland and um, it was right at the end of the global financial crisis in, you know, when Ireland was really heavily impacted very high unemployment rate and it exploded. I went over for my first trip in 2012 and we did a, 
a workshop for four days in a town called Gorry in Central Ireland. And it was funded by the European Union. And we had 28 people there from 12 countries that uh, we educated all on sheds. Some went back and developed sheds, others didn't. You know, um, it didn't fit into, um, it doesn't fit into all cultures. Um, but then it expanded throughout, all throughout the UK, Denmark, Iceland. I think there's men's sheds now in uh, 12 countries around the world, including in the United States. So it sounds like the, the Nordics have taken quite well to it then. They have. And <laughs> it was kind of an unusual one. I And don't ask me to try, even try and pronounce what they call a men's shed there. I, you know, it's, I just look at the wording and yeah, I can't, I'm not, not taking on that tongue twister. Um, fear of embarrassing myself severely. But they've taken their own spin on it. And look, it is suited. I didn't understand their culture at all. I'd never been there before. Uh, Denmark, places like that, and it really fitted in well. And I think with their long winters and same with Iceland, it really provided an opportunity for men to get out during the winter, especially when there's not a great deal of their normal outdoor activities to do and get together on a daily basis. Um, so it really was a bit of a success in those countries. If someone listening wanted to get involved, let's say someone wanted to um, join a shed, what are the requirements there? Is it something that's difficult to do, or how does that work? No, no. Our, our policy in Australia, and we, we try and emphasise this around the world to all our partner organisations, is it's an open door. You know, if they is come and participate, you don't have to be handy with the tools there's all you know that you can learn that if you wish to learn that you know there's other skill sets you know sheds need to be administered it's all about being together and work and the camaraderie you know and making the shed self-sustainable so there's no you know you've got everything from factory workers to lawyers and doctors in the shed there's a little saying in australia unofficially amongst the sheds you know if you're going to join a shed you've got to leave your ego at the door um, they don't really care what you did in the past, you know, uh, who you were, what you are, anything like that. In the shed, we're all men and we're all there together. I know also, David, that um, the Australian Men's Shed Association has their own podcast, which you've had for quite a while now, is and, and that's experienced some success, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it has. Um, we started it during COVID as a means to keep everyone connected. Uh, you know, COVID was a challenge for everybody, but for an organisation that focuses on preventing social isolation, and all of a sudden now we had to promote socially isolating, it was a real challenge for us. So we started the podcast and one of our directors on our board, which is an all-volunteer board, a gentleman I've known for years, Aaron Carney, who was a radio broadcaster for the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, the ABC, and he kindly took it on um, and it was a way of sharing information of what we're doing you know uh, keeping the guys communicating with us or feel, you know we with you know hundred thousand odd men out there we can't pick up the phone and ring them all um, so it was one of the initiatives that we put there and it grew and we really didn't know you know the idea of a podcast was oh what are we going to put on it you know, we've put a bit of health information, general information. We talked about the history of sheds and we're running out of subjects and 
we started just in, introducing sections on, you know, general topic things that would interest men and started interviewing people from politicians to music celebrities, you know, and finding out what they did in their sheds or, you know, a bit about their careers and things like that. And it started to grow and we got thousands and thousands of people listening all of a sudden. Then um, Aaron had to go back and took on a new job overseas and he was good friends with a uh, Australian pop star of the 70s and 80s, a gentleman, John Paul Young, who also lived you know, quite locally to our offices. And John kindly put his hand up. He'd had, besides being a Australian music icon, he had also been a radio presenter. And he took on the role then of you know, hosting the, the podcast series, which we're up to um, about four seasons of now. And um, you know, next year we'll go into the the next season and there's been an accidental success you know purely purely has been i i think we're in the top 10 most listened to podcasts in australia now that's incredible uh, especially for something with that started out with the goal of keeping men collaborating and communicating and then to have that to have it work and to have it spread in that way is awesome it was just an accident it really was well, David, let me ask you for, you know, for my final question, is there anything else that it, for someone listening that they can do to support the Men's Shed movement or support the Australian Men's Shed Association directly? Look, like all, you know, charitable organisations, we run on the smell literally of an oily rag. Um, support is always more than welcome. But I'd like to see, you know, and this is how we started. You know, I never dreamed... 15 years ago, it was only a temporary job for me for 12 months. And, you know, I famously said after 12 months, I'm going back to a real job, which kind of never really happened. This became my real job. Yeah, I always encourage people to get involved uh, with with their sheds. Yeah, I know throughout the US it's starting to evolve. So the US Men's Shed Association would be more than happy to hear from people wanting to get involved or start a shed in their in their area but you know it's just um you know help us maintain that that growth and hopefully one day and i can see it changing in my 15 years we've got a world where we don't need men's sheds anymore it's one of the great things about when you're working in a preventative health space the true measure of your success is when you're no longer needed david i just want to say thank you sir for your time today to volunteering to talk with us and, and really for all the work that the Australian Men's Shed Association is doing, I'm, I'm really excited to continue to follow your work and hope you have an incredible rest of the year. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure, Nick. Thank you and you too. Today's show was directed and produced by me, with music from Alex Grohl. Special thanks to our guests for their time and insight. If you liked today's episode, please follow us wherever you listen to podcasts, and consider leaving a review, as it will help us to spread the word about the show. You can view more information about today's episode online at actsofimpact.com. Thank you for listening.